Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Faux, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hey everyone, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is the quick hit for Chicago Night 2. I'm here with Mike, um, whose who's link to his Twitter bio will be in the notes. Hey Mike. How's it going? Good, good. I know you had a long trip um, over the last 24 hours. What went from Kentucky back to, to Chicago and then back? That's that's correct. It wasn't too long, only about four and a half hours. So okay. it's not as far as it seems. Not bad. Um, and how was, how was the show overall? Yeah, it was a very interesting show. You know, as the show was going on, I was kind—I of, knew I was going to be talking to you, so I was kind of trying to look at it from a different perspective. 
Um, and the, the first set was very unremarkable. Uh, and then the second set, it was just such a curveball that I was like, okay, what am I going to say about this? Because it just was completely unexpected, you know, the way it developed. Yeah, the the first set had, um, like you said, you know, not, nothing really notable. I liked the, um, I always like hearing the wedge and halfway to the moon. Um, those are two of my favorite sort of, you know, first set songs. And the wingsuit was pretty pretty solid, but yeah, nothing like, nothing, no bust outs, nothing crazy, just like some some pretty, you know, solid standard first set stuff. Um, is there any highlights from set one that you that you find yourself going back to today? Well, I haven't had a chance to listen to the show again. I'm yeah. actually going to download it as soon as we get off this call. <laughs> uh, but I would say, you know, from like just observing the crowd, when Martian Monster started up, that was when the crowd really got excited. Um, and I've, I just read online that a few people thought that was the first time they kind of really let loose in the show and that that might have led to the jams of the second set. I don't know if that's true. I'll have to check it out myself here shortly. Nice. Um, but that, that was probably the thing that got the crowd the most hyped, I would say. That makes sense. And then um, set two, like you said, it's pretty um, interesting set. the The opener I thought was that was a cool opener, um, Corona, which um, which was the the fish debut, but not something probably expected or um, or even <laughs> necessarily uh, recognized probably by a lot of people. Yeah, and I would put myself in that camp. I'm not I'm not up on Trey stuff currently. Yep. So the song was kind of familiar. I mean, if it wasn't for Twitter, I would have not known what it was. But yeah, I would say the crowd was pretty sh- a little shell shocked with that because I was maybe hoping for like a chalk dust, um, mm-hmm. something along those lines. And I think the crowd was maybe hoping for something to really get the energy up. And I don't know that that did it. So I think simple was at least something everyone knew, you know. <laughs> so that was kind of a pivotal moment. I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, this could be this could turn into the signature jam for the show or it could go a different direction. And, uh, I guess we know what happened from there. So, yeah. Yeah. So what was that, <laughs> what was that like for, for you where you were with your, your group? I mean, were people just, was it just, were people just totally into it the, the whole time? Were people expecting it to, to, to go into different directions? What, what was your kind of take on how that evolved? Well, by the time that point of the show rolled around, my wife and I had kind of walked back um, into the lawn a little further back there at North Valley Island, uh, which is a very interesting venue if you've never been there. It was like totally flat. Um, so the sight lines were not good, but I was hmm. actually very impressed with the sound farther back. You cool. could almost hear it better. Um, yeah, so I've never been cool. there. Um, yeah, I mean, it was not the my favorite venue, but, you know, being as it's in the middle of Chicago, you could kind of walk to your hotel. That was pretty cool. So I would go back. Um, but nice. I think that, you know, it was almost like simple. They went in a little type two jam, I mean, you know, around 10 minutes. Uh, and then it was like it just stopped. And then they started back up into this heavy metal jam that was just totally different. Um, and I think I just got really interested at that point. And I could kind of tell the people around me were like, okay, what is this? Where are we going? And, you know, I could have swore that they were, it was a long intro to Timber at one point. Um, to the point where I texted my buddy, David, and I was like, man, is this Timber? And he texted me back. He's like, that's what I was thinking too. So, um, and <laughs> Definitely sounded two minutes like later, it. yeah, we're like, uh, I guess not. So, um, but they, I mean, I think just the best word I could use to describe that was just interesting. And I feel like with the Baker's Dozen coming up, especially Fish is going to have to really do something kind of different and explore in a way they haven't done it before. And I feel like the last night's show was a springboard to that. Cause to me, that was something 
I've never really heard fish do anything like that before, you know, in many, many years of listening to them. So I think that maybe they were, I don't know if it just happened or they kind of planned to go in this different direction and see where it went. But I really almost expect there to be more of that, you know, as we go through this summer tour moving forward. Nice. Um, that's great. Yeah, the, the it was a pretty um, complicated jam, really. I mean, in terms of the, the different um, direction and, and all that, I, I I feel like if I had been there, I've been there for sort of like, like the Dick Simple from 2014 and some other jams like that, where it, it took me like, it took me several times of going back to listening to it to actually like fully kind of understand it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, I still don't really know what I heard, so I, I can't <laughs> wait to listen to it again. Yeah. Uh, that whole second set, because there, there was other highlights as well, like later in that set that I'm sure you want to mention. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's, yeah, let's go. And I, I do, I did definitely did hear the, um, that sort of uh timber like jam and and there was a there's some heavy metal stuff like you said there's just there's a lot going on there um yeah what what else in the second set stood out for you um the winter queen was not exactly what i was hoping for at that point um again when i re-listen to it i might feel different about it but i'm always a big fan of light so i was really Mm -hmm. happy to hear that um and you know they didn't go too far off into light but i think that the little jam they settled into was what I would kind of characterize as my favorite type of jamming typically the fish does. So that was cool. I was into that. Um, then the the transition, uh, sorry, I can't say that word very well. Transition to sense was, was good. Um, again, not a huge fan of that particular song, but that being said, where it went was off the charts. I mean, I can't wait to release into that jam as well because I felt like, um, it was exceptional. And the cool thing was, is that there was fireworks started going off at the Navy pier as that jam really built and through the transition to cities and during cities fireworks kept going off and it was pretty symbolic you know i feel like of like this uh, grand culmination of this hour-long journey they took us on with the fireworks going off it was a pretty cool visual yeah that's amazing um and the i like the sense a lot though it was the sense the light and obviously the simple they all had pretty pretty developed jams you know it was it seemed like Trey, trey was really into it which is awesome and then um a really smooth segue into cities and then another segue less less of a segue into slave but it looks like on the fish.net um set list at least that they're all the entire set from corona through slave was all segues so that's kind of cool um don't see that all the time right that's good and the slave um i I mean i i love love the song obviously um but just seeing it under the under the lights outdoors in the summer is just a, a, a nice a pretty nice special uh special thing did you did you feel that yeah you can't really ask for a better closer i guess mm-hmm. um you know after a set like that like you said outside under the stars the lake is nearby fireworks going off uh, it's hard to feel bad at a time like that you know? <laughs> yeah and you, you um i know you mentioned before that um and of course there's a loving cup encore which i think is always welcomed even if it's not the most you know, unique, unique encore, but at least it's a, it's a rocking song. Um, Absolutely. They've been playing as an encore for forever. Um, you, I know you, you, are you heading to one or two more shows after this? Uh, yeah, I'm making a stop here at home for a couple of days and I'm just going to hit Dayton. So uh, that's not too far of a job for me. Um, and I'm still mad that I missed the 97 Dayton show. Um, I went to a few other shows that tour and I'm skipped the Dayton cause it was on like a Sunday night or something. I might add class on Monday. Um, so I wasn't going to miss it this time. So I'm going up there and I have, uh, some pretty high hopes, um, for that show, but you know, I'll try to temper my expectations between now and then. Yeah. 
That's funny because I I did go to that day in '97 show. I'm not going this year, um, but I had definitely had I had my first college exam ever on that next morning at Ohio State, and uh, <laughs> and I went anyway, and I got home at two two in the morning or something you know, to my dorm, and then I got up at seven and went and took an exam, um, and I graduated from college. How so, is- you know. I was going to say, how'd the exam go? You probably don't even remember, but you remember the I show, right? <laughs> I, don't remember the, I don't remember the exam. I remember the show. Um, but that's awesome. I'm glad. I know you have kids, and it's nice to be able to just get to a, a couple shows if you can. So that's nice that they're coming through the, the Midwest en route to, to MSG, or you might not, be able, not, might not have been able to see any shows this tour. Yeah, I was, I was excited when they added these top shows, that's for sure. So I know I could get to a couple of them. <clears throat> awesome. Well, um, I'm glad you had a good time. And I think we should. Um, I actually found an, an audience version of the the simple from last night. So if it makes sense to you, we can just we can throw the whole thing out there. I think that sounds perfect. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much for joining. And um, we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you for having me. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil Story Made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
What's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Okay.